Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton. So tonight, for a few minutes, what I would like to do is I would like to uh, let uh, some of your pastors uh, give you maybe their favorite uh, point or place of visitation there. And then we'll try, maybe if we have time, to feel some questions. Who's going to go first? Brother Donnie, you want to go first? You ready? ready? Come on up here and talk. All right, Brother Donnie, how many times have you been to the Holy Land? Nineteen. Nineteen times. So you're not a novice nor a rookie. No, sir. And let me see. Oh, it's in your blood. It's in my so blood. you got it, man. Amen. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an honor always to speak about the land uh, that God loves. And something you must remember, his land is not a bargaining chip. In Leviticus, it says the land belongs to him. Jerusalem belongs to him. God uses the land as a teaching tool. You must remember God knows who he is. When he took the disciples around, what he was doing, he was teaching them for the days which lie ahead. He was instructing them. He was God. He knew who he was. He knew what he could do. But what the Lord does through his word, he instructs us. Over the years, um, there's so many places I love to be and love to go, but I think one of the greatest teaching lessons that I've ever experienced is in northern Galilee. It stands at the foot of the Mount Hermon, which is a little over 9,000 feet in elevation. Uh, Lebanon is to my left just a little bit. Syria is to my right. And Jesus took his disciples there for a very important lesson one day. Always remember this. Evil is always present. No matter where you go and no matter what you do, evil is always there. But can I tell you, we don't have to fear it. God's in control of every situation. So he took his young guys and he headed north. And they walked up and arrived at a place called Banyas, Caesarea Philippi. And it's the tribe of Dan that lived there. And there is a place there where there was a temple in the time of Jesus. And uh, I've seen the drawings of the temple and they actually have it there uh, that shows the layout of the temple that was in the day of Christ. And they had priests there that offered children to the god Pan. Pan was a god that was half goat and half man that they worshipped. And there still today, after all the centuries, there's little niches, uh, little carved out places in the wall where they would put their gods that they would worship. But I've done some study on it uh, several years ago, and uh, Josephus Flavius was a historian during the time of Christ, and he wrote about this place. He talked about it in his writings. And during the time of Jesus, it was an evil place. It was a place where they worshiped false idols where they worshiped the devil. And so there was a temple there, and at the back of that temple was a pool. 
And during his day, they measured the depth of that pool, and it measured over 800 feet deep. And what they would do, they would take children, and they would cast them into the water. And as their bodies went down, the the turbulence of the water, it, it would come out underneath, and that was the beginning of the Jordan River is right there. And as that came out, then the water would turn red from the blood. And they would sacrifice them until the God Pan they felt was satisfied. Well, Jesus took the disciples there one day. And as they stood at the front of that temple, they looked at it. And during Jesus' day, it had a name. It was called the Gates of Hell. Because the people who lived there believed that when you went inside, that was the entrance to hell. That was where you accessed hell by. So Jesus took his disciples there one day and he said, guys, I want to prove something to you today. I want to teach you a lesson. He said, even though this is wicked, even though this is a place of evil, he said, always remember the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. It will never stop what Christ wants to do. You see, God is teaching us in our lives that everything we do, it's not about him learning it's about us learning it's about us knowing that his word is true it's knowing about that we can face what comes our way and to tie in with that i told you that was the the beginning of the jordan river mount Hermon is right there behind us and then the snow cap and the waters that melt actually come bubble up out of the ground there and what it does it starts a journey it flows down and goes into the Sea of Galilee. You might say that when it comes out, it's born there at the headwaters of the Jordan. And it starts its journey, and it flows into the Sea of Galilee. And when it leaves the Sea of Galilee, it's born again. You see, the Sea of Galilee is the type of the world. All of us, we're born, we live our lives, and we intermingle with people every day. That water all goes in there. It's intermingling. We intermingle with people every day. Some saved, some lost. But once we're born again, God puts us on a journey. It's interesting to know that when the uh, Jordan River leaves leaves the Galilee, it's 70 miles till it flows in to the Dead Sea. How many years did the Lord say we had? Three score and ten. Seventy years. But all along the crooks and the turns, the Jordan is flowing. That's our life. God is saying we don't know what's going to come. We don't know what's going to happen, but he'll always be with us. That's what he was teaching his disciples every day for things that lie ahead. You know what we do? Sometimes in life, we misjudge things that come in our lives. We think, well, God, why are you? How many times have you said, why, God? I have. Why did you allow this to happen to me? Why am I going to, Lord, I go to church. I'm faithful. I'm a pastor, Lord. I'm a son. Why me? But what the Lord is doing, he's teaching me. He's learning me. He's instructing me for the days which lie ahead. See, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but he, he knows. But I love, love, love the land of Israel. The Lord bless me. Uh, I've been 19 times with Brother Ralph. And I went two times actually before that in the 70s and the 80s. So like him, what I've been privileged to do, I've been privileged to see the land change.
I've been privileged to see Bible prophecy fulfilled that I never dreamed would happen in my lifetime. I could, we could stand here, I could stand all night and just talk about the things that I've witnessed over the years that I've seen. But God is working in the land of Israel. Like I said, that's his land. And what we're doing, we're seeing things come about that the Lord said, like Pastor preached this morning, when you see all this, look up. I'm getting ready to come. So I praise the Lord for all the trips, everything I've got to do, and all the things I've got to experience. And I love these men. I've been with Pastor all those time. Brother Winston, we're training him. He's doing a good job. We love Brother Winston. Brother Roy, we got to go together. And all, some of you, Jerry and Teresa Sigmund, they've been with us quite a few times. And the Lord has really, really blessed us. And we love you. And we thank you. And the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. I've had the opportunity to go uh, to the Holy Land five times. I've, I've, I've gone four times with Pastor. And then one time, what was that guy's name? Uh, Bill Gaither. Uh, I went with him one time. And we shot a video over there. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people who, t- who say, hey, I'm going to the Holy Land for the first time. I tell them uh, one of the things that I have learned in, in my experiences, and like I said, it's not a lot, not as, as much as Pastor or Pastor Donnie, where you think you're going to have this great experience typically is not where it's going to happen. You always think, oh, if I can get to this spot where this happened, oh, I, I mean, the glory's going to come down. and I, It typically doesn't happen that way. A lot of times it will happen in the most obscure places or places that you, you weren't expecting. And I think the Lord does that on purpose. And, uh, you know, the garden tomb is one you can't explain the feeling you get at the garden tomb. I'm not talking about there. Uh, but just certain, you know, you, you have this expectation, oh, if I can get here. And I had done that uh, literally every trip and every trip I was... I I was disappointed because it didn't happen there, but typically always happened at some point in time during the trip. And this was my first trip with Pastor, and we had been in Galilee and spent several days in Galilee, and we were leaving Galilee going to the Dead Sea, and we were going down the Jordan River Valley. And we stopped. It was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget. We stopped uh, to take a break. Do you all know why we stop uh, and take breaks in the Holy Land? Ice cream. That's exactly right. So we stopped and to get some ice cream. That, that Brother Donnie was helping me uh, to get the right. And so we had a Sunday school lesson. And Pastor, he said, we're just going to have a Sunday school lesson. We sat out, and he, he did a great Sunday school lesson on the date palm trees. And I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. I, and I, one day, I, I hope you would bring that here because there's, there's so much in that, the date palm trees. Um, but anyway, when you're in the Holy Land, those of you that have been, you wear these things called whispers, and, and they go around your neck, and it's a little electronic device, and you hook a set of headphones into that, and, and either pastor or both pastor and our Jewish guide wears a microphone uh, so that when they're speaking, you may be at the back of the line, or you may be somewhere where, you know, when we did the the last few tours, there's been 120 people. Well, you all can't hear. So you put these headphones in your ears so that you can hear uh, 
at wherever you may be. Well, there was a lady there, and hers was messed up, and our Jewish guide was helping her. And she said, sir, uh, and, and she kind of pointed up on the hill. She said, now, is that Samaria up there, that area of Samaria? He said, yeah, it, it is. And uh, she said, now, why would Jesus, in John chapter 4, why would Jesus have gone to Samaria? And he's just working on her little whisper like he's, and he said, he must needs go. And just kept talking. And I thought, well, what a jerk. You could have given her a better explanation than that. And as we got back on the bus, and it, it made me want to go read John chapter 4. And if you remember John chapter 4, that's the encounter he has with the woman at the well. And so, uh, the beginning of John chapter 4 says, uh, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more than uh, disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. And then it goes on and talks about the, the encounter he had with the woman at the well. And, and it was a, an incredible encounter. And then, and then he had this... You know, he, he had this wonderful interaction with her, and she goes back after she realizes this is one of those times in the, in the Bible with what I call ta-da moments, whenever she realizes it's him, and it's like he almost goes, ta-da, you know, and kind of like the, the man in John chapter 9 when he realized the guy he's talking to is the guy that healed him. And so, uh, anyway, he's, he, she goes back to tell, come see this man. And then his disciples come back, because, you know, they had gone into town, and, uh, and it says in, in verse uh, 30, it says, They went out of, and, out of the city and came unto him. And in the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. They're trying to get him to eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And therefore uh, said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him all to eat? Who, who, who got him something to eat? Who brought him something to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And I started reading that, and I thought, what a great answer that he gave that lady. He wasn't being a smart aleck. He was just saying, he must needs go through Samaria. And it made me start thinking, you know, as a child, and even as, a, as, as I got older as an adult, and, and became a husband, became a father, Lord, you know, this thing of, God's will for your life, God's will for your life, it became this overwhelming question, God, what is your will for my life? And it hit me like a ton of bricks sitting on that bus. You know what Jesus did? He got up every morning and said, Lord, Father, what's your will for me today? And the Father said, hey, I need you to go through Samaria. I don't know if he had any more instruction than that. But what Jesus did know, what he did know was, I've got to go through Samaria. The, The disciples questioned, why are we coming through Samaria? Everybody, what are we doing in Samaria? And he sends them away. And so what it encouraged me for it. Uh, it, it, while I was sitting on that bus, what it encouraged me to do is, you know, Lord, I, I've, I've worried, what, Lord, what is your will? For, I'm a pastor now. Lord, what's your will for me to do? And I was forgetting the day today, today. 
And I encourage people that I talk to, I encourage the people in Couples Connection, quit worrying about what your, your, God's will is for your life when you're 60, 70. Worry about what God's will is for your life today. I can handle that. I couldn't handle and wrap my mind around 20 years from now. I, could, I felt like I'm missing the mark. It's not, I don't have this big handwriting on the wall of what God's will is for my life. And then it dawned on me, don't worry about it. Just find out what it is today. And that has, that, that's one of those times in the Holy Land. That first trip, there were a lot of great moments. But what it taught me on that very first trip in the Jordan River Valley was this. Lord, I love you. I want to serve you. Just help me today. And that made all the difference in my daily walk with the Lord. I think we all, you, we all may have had those feelings before of, boy, God's will for my life is overwhelming. I, I, am I making the right choice? Don't worry about it. Worry about today. I, uh, I have fallen in love with the nation of Israel, the people and God's given me a unique opportunity to carry out something that's generational, but it's not generational for the sake of being generational. Um, I've been going to the Holy Land now for uh, 15 years. Does that make you feel any old at all? I wasn't trying to, but for, for over 15 years, I've been able to go, and I think uh, here in a couple of weeks will be my eighth or ninth opportunity to go and study and learn, and it's been something different, and it's been something new every time. Uh, but the first time I got to go, uh, I was 14 or 15 years old, and I got to go with my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt, my grandmother's sister, and some dear friends of the church, and Miss Joanne Pearson. Yeah. Never forget that for as long as I live, <laughs> especially through some of the security checkpoints. We don't have time for those stories tonight, but. I've had quite a few friends in uh, the secular world ask me, what's the deal with your family, your church, and Israel? What's the deal? You guys buy ambulances. Your whole church family raises money to uh, buy suitcases worth of items to go. Why, what's the deal? They're, they're a, a, a pretty well-off country. What's the point? And what's so incredible to do is to get to point back as far back as the Old Testament and highlight Genesis 12, 3, I will bless them that bless thee. That covenant with Israel isn't dead. Just because Jesus came, he, yes, modified the law in many ways. He modified some things. He made a way. He fulfilled many things. But the covenant that God has, the Abrahamic covenant, it's still real. It's still in action, and it's still uh, held between God and Israel. So we believe that, number one. And number two, we understand the importance of the infallibility of your Bible. And if you can attack your Bible, and if you can shake that base, and you can shake that part of your faith, your Bible is a huge part of your faith. And to be able to go to the places, you can't move rivers, you can't move streams, you can't move mountains. Yes, they'll grow, there'll be uh, land added on top. But it's still there. And it's been called that same name for thousands of years. I think it would be easier to not be a skeptic and go and see the things that God has preserved in the land. It's like a walking museum. And 
And over the last 15 years, to see the changes culturally and uh, to see what's happened and uh, so many different things. And we could spend all night talking about that. But let me remind you of a couple of things, church. Number one, God's blessed us with a pastor with, with a vast wealth of knowledge of the Holy Land. And I mean God has blessed us with that. That is a resource for your family. It is a resource for his pastors as we study together and as we prepare uh, to do things in the church. Those things bleed over into everything. Uh, The way we look at our Bible, the way we look at Scripture, the way we study Scripture, and how we understand that geography is important. And one thing I will encourage you to do that if you're a, a student, you enjoy digging deeper, uh, there's a couple of books that I've been able to purchase and add to my library. This is one of my favorite, and I'll, I'll put these down here at the bottom later. This is the Jerome Murphy O'Connor. It's an Oxford Archaeological Guide of the Holy Land. That's about a $50 book. It's expensive, but it is chock full of every stop we go on and many other places that you can't even get access to anymore. But you can go and look at this place, and these are... Uh, people who, some of them aren't even Christians, they're confirming things in your Bible. Not that you need more confirmation, but it gives you even more substance to gnaw on and to chew on and to be solid on, that you can know, that you can absolutely positively, without a doubt, know that your Bible is real. And the older I get, the more I cling to the truth in the Scripture. It is the source of of my strength. When I get into a place, when I get into a a situation and a predicament, I can go to places in the Bible and there's a scripture there that the Holy Spirit will use to encourage my heart. So I want to know more about my Bible and the Holy Land is a great place for you to learn to do that. This is another book that I love. This is a a survey of Israel's history and this is by Dr. Leon Wood, uh, an incredible Baptist theologian and uh, seminary uh, dean, I think from, uh, let's see, Grand Rapids Baptist Seminary. These are two great books for you to get a hold of. You can get them on Amazon. But if you want to know more about the land and about the history and how it coincides with your Bible, those are two great books to look at. Now, uh, one other quick thing I'll mention. There's been every opportunity I've had to go and study. There's been, like Pastor Rory said and Pastor Donnie alluded to, different places that seem to mean more every time you go. And what I'm finding is that it has to do with where I've been reading in my Bible. What's, what's been important to me that past year? What has God shown me? Where have I grown? And one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had is studying out the transfiguration of Jesus. I've preached on it here till I'm blue in the face. I love that story. It's found in multiple Gospels in the New Testament. But the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, this incident that he allows only three of his disciples to go and witness, Peter, James, and John. And I'm still to this day jealous of the opportunity that they got to go and see. And Pastor Donnie, you mentioned the place where we believe the transfiguration happened. Some scholars believe Mount Tabor. Uh, I think... In my mind, we've been able to prove through our years of study, observation, understanding the land, that it's not Mount Tabor, it's Mount Hermon, a great high mountain. And what they get to experience, Peter, James, and John, 
is Jesus actually change his countenance, his face, and his body into his holy form. They hear God the Father speak in the Shekinah glory and the cloud comes upon the mountain. They get to see something that no other man, woman, or child has ever seen. They see Jesus in his holy form. It should have killed them, but for whatever reason, Christ allowed them to see it, experience it, and understand some things that day. And so as time goes on, this ministry of our Lord and Savior continues. And Peter, towards the end of his life, is writing in Second Peter chapter 1. This is Second Peter chapter 1. And I want you to listen to what Peter's account of what happened on Mount Hermon, how he talks about it. And we've talked about this before, but I think it'll encourage you if you get a hold of this. Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we were made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses on the mountain, Mount Hermon, of his majesty. And it says this, For he, being Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so on that mountain that we get to go stand on, it's still there today. We were just there in September, October. I stood on Mount Hermon. I looked up at the top of the mountain. It's snow-capped. It's high. And for me to be able to read and look and understand that this is the place where my Lord and Savior allowed three mortal men to gaze into something that they had no business looking into, it does something for me. And then he said this, and I'll stop at this. But Peter said this, more than all those things I saw, more than what I felt, more than the emotions of seeing my Savior confirmed in his deity on that mountain, more than seeing James and John and their reaction, more than what I could smell, more than what I could taste in the air, more than hearing God the Father speak. Can you imagine hearing God audibly speak? Can you? I can't. But Peter says this, and I believe when he wrote this, he wrote it for me. He said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye, Trinity Baptist Church, do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. What Peter was saying is, hey, church, don't worry about what we saw. Don't worry about what we experienced Be concerned with your more sure word. And the land of Israel does nothing but confirm how real your Bible is from cover to cover. And at a young age or an old age, it can change your life to be able to completely and absolutely without any question believe your Bible with total abandon. It'll change everything. It changed me. It changes the way I preach, it changes the way I teach, it changes the way I'm a husband, and it changes the way I pastor. Israel is a special place, and I'm thankful tonight for a family that's invested in me to go, and uh, that one day my prayer is that my son is the fifth generation that gets to go. Amen. And uh, be a part of that. 
But Israel's so important to my heart, and I appreciate your oh, man. Uh, years of experience and what you've poured into your staff. Yeah. Well, uh, what's exciting is that God sweetens every time we go the word. And remember what God said. God said, I'm a spirit and I can't change. So how do we relate to a spirit? It's difficult. And God knew it would be difficult. So God said, I'm going to send my son. He'll put on a robe of flesh. I'll let him walk on this earth for 33 and a half years and identify with your humanity so that you'll understand he is Yeshua. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And so that's the connector that he did for all of us is that he became flesh. And we go to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word, the Bible, became flesh. One thing else I'll mention, I'm going to jump in on your behalf here, something that I got to see and watch, um, and this is an incredible uh, perspective that God allowed me to see, but in April 2018, you lose your precious wife. Right. You're in the battle of your life. You're like a kite in the wind. Mm -hmm. You're searching. You're looking. How am I going to do what I've been doing? How am I going to pastor? How am I going to preach? What's life now? And those were difficult days in our church's life and in your life and in sure. our life. Yeah. And I guess it was in October of 2018, you led a tour. Yeah, we went there Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving that's right. And I remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was waiting the entire trip for a moment for you and I was waiting to see how God was going to use the land to encourage you and uh, a place in a moment and where God did it was in the garden of Gethsemane right. towards the end of the trip we were in Jerusalem yeah, it, it was, was last, our last day or yeah. the day before and you went to a tree that's down in the lower part of Gethsemane near the gate the front gate not the gate that we go into a very large, thousands and thousands of year old uh, olive tree that's there. And I'll never forget that you put your head down in the bow of that tree and you grabbed onto it and um, I kind of eavesdropped. I wondered where this was going. And I got closer and closer and closer and finally I just came up right beside you to where I could hear you but you didn't know I was there. And where God gave cheating. you, it is cheating, but it worked out. <laughs> And what God did for me hearing you pray is that you weren't praying for yourself. You weren't praying for your broken heart. No. You were praying for your church. The heart of a shepherd. And for the Holy Spirit of God to do a mending work in the same place where our Lord and Savior went to pray for me and for you. Church, it doesn't get any better than that. Right. That's how real and how tangible your faith is. You can go to the very garden, and when you're in a place of pain and hurt and discomfort, you can pray, yes. and the Holy Spirit of God as the Comforter could come, and right. he did there in the garden for you. So Israel isn't just about going and taking tours or taking trips and getting really cool Facebook posts. It's a land of healing. Right. It's a land of fresh start. It's a, it's a, a complete uh, land of mystery in some ways. It really is. But uh, I've watched Israel 
help you move forward in your ministry. Right. And for the life of our church, it's been a wonderful blessing it, to have Israel a part of our legacy. It really helped me more than I can ever explain because in college, uh, I got to that point. Even though my dad was a minister, I tiptoed through the tulips of being an agnostic. My professor, I was assistant to the chair of the psychology department. And so I thought that's the way I was going to go. I thought that's, I would either be teaching at the college level or maybe go on uh, into medicine from that department. And, uh, but God had another plan. And I found out that you cannot intellectually feel the hole that's in your soul. Only God can fill that up. And that's what he does through his word, and that's the power of his word. And I owe a great debt of gratitude. I showed you a picture this week of Joseph Assad, and uh, he invested in me. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, he loved me. He's a a Christian Arab, and uh, he took time to stay up with me late at night get up early in the morning and we'd have breakfast together and I would just question after question after question. But I was trying to satisfy the faith factor and God was working on me. And then a holiday in in Chicago, Illinois, God settled that. Amen. Amen. And no one ever cared for me like Jesus came out of there. That was the first message after that. Let me put a bow on this by answering his question that's asked many times, why does your family love Israel or how did you get involved in Israel and why does Trinity Baptist Church have such a heart connection? And I will uh, back the clock up very quickly to 1937. And in 1937, there was a young man working in downtown Asheville And he worked for a Jewish businessman. And that was my father, Ralph Sexton Sr. He got off work one evening and started to go into the movies, uh, to quote my dad, to see a shoot-em-up, a cowboy movie, and uh, for 10 cents. And uh, boy, that's changed. And uh, so uh, he was going into the movies, and uh, he was uh, started in... And he felt something tugging at him. He thought it was one of his friends playing a joke on him as he started to go in. And uh, he looked around. He didn't see anyone. And then he started to go in again. And it was like someone pulled at him again. And he stopped for a minute. And he went to the front of the movie, back to the sidewalk, looked down the sidewalk. And downtown Asheville was a big gospel tent. And an Irish evangelist was at Asheville. His name was William McBurney. And William McBurney was doing a citywide crusade in Asheville. They were averaging four or 5,000 people a night in 1937. At the same time, there was another evangelist in Asheville, and he was down on the river. His name was Evangelist J. Harold Smith. And J. Harold Smith had rented the tobacco warehouse, and they were running three, four, and sometimes 5,000 people a night. 
So little Asheville, North Carolina, 1937, on any given night during that summer, eight, nine, ten thousand people a night were going to church. That was over a third of the population of the city and the county at that time. And they were going. So, so we were a Christian community with Christian roots. At the uh, service that night, my dad saw the tent and out of curiosity, he's a 17-year-old boy, he goes into the service, sits on the back row. And when he does, the speaker gets up and uh, he begins to talk about that there's a day coming when Israel is going to have a homeland and that the Jews that have been scattered around the world since the time of Christ are going to come home. And when that starts happening, he used the illustration of Matthew 24, verse 32, the budding of the fig tree. And he said, that's how you'll know when the tree begins to put out its buds, the Jews are going home and there'll be life in the land and you'll know that this will be a sign that the Lord's coming draws nigh. Well, it fascinated my dad that he kept talking about Israel and there was no nation of Israel. And it fascinated my dad that he talked about the Jews because he worked for a Jewish businessman. So my dad stayed after the service was over and he went up to uh, Mr. McBurney when he had an opportunity. And Mr. McBurney was a visual teacher. He would uh, use a whiteboard we use like now. He used a chalkboard and a piece of chalk and he would write scriptures and illustrations and he uh, was standing there and still had the chalk in his hand. My dad started asking him questions. Well, what does it mean? And so he was explaining to him and he said, well, I work for a Jewish man. Will that Jewish man go to heaven? And Mr. McBurney said, only if he's put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have to do that. And he looked at my dad and he said, have you ever put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked him to save you? And my dad said, no, but I've always wanted to. I just don't know how. And Mr. McBurney said, you see this piece of chalk, Ralph? He said, would you ask me for it? And my dad said, Mr. McBurney, could I have that piece of chalk? And my dad reached out his hand. And McBurney stopped and he said, now, Ralph, look. Look what you just did. You asked for this piece of chalk. I haven't given it to you yet, but instinctively you turned your hand over and you opened it up to receive it. And he said, it's so simple. If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and if you'll turn your heart over and open it up, just as I lay this chalk into your hand, you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. And my dad knelt right there downtown Asheville, 1937, and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, because of that relationship of him preaching 11 years, think of that, 11 years before Israel becomes a nation, he's preaching that there's going to be a nation. How did that evangelist preach that? Well, he just preached the Word of God by faith. 11 years, 1937, Israel doesn't come into existence to 1948. And so he preached the word. 
My dad became a believer, and from that day forward, he always had a place in his heart for the Jew because he felt like God used the story of Israel for his own salvation. World War II comes. My dad is now a, a past, an evangelist, preacher. He's doing area-wide meetings with the big gospel tent. He made an arrangement with the United States uh, Department of Defense, and he would do rally services on Sunday afternoon, and he called them God and Country Services. And he would preach, and the choir would sing, and he would preach. They'd make an invitation, and people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He started a mailing list, John. You remember, he would write to all the soldiers on the battlefield, whether they were in Europe, and Italy, or in the Pacific, if he had an address of your loved one. Matter of fact, I was just preaching over in East Tennessee uh, right after Christmas, and a man walked up to me after service, and he said, you don't know me, but he said, your daddy wrote to me. I was in a foxhole in Sicily, and he said, I was lost. And he said, in that muddy hole, I opened that letter up, and it said, I could know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he said, I prayed in that hole for God to save me. And I said, God, if you'll save me and keep me and I get home, I'll serve you the rest of my life. He said, I've not missed a Sunday in church that I wasn't sick. He said, I've served him till this day. And, you know, that was a seed that was planted with that. Well, the Defense Department sent Dad, uh, when we liberated uh, the death camps of Europe, they sent that raw footage to my father. Some of it was so graphic, they couldn't show it publicly. But it was on all 16-millimeter film. And what it actually was, when they showed the GIs cutting the chains off the death camps, you could see on the railroad cars, Jews, their bodies stacked up on railroad cars, just like you would stack a load of pulpwood. They would stack up all those people. And then the furnaces, and then the barracks, and all that was in there. And that touched my dad's heart. I remember when I was a teenager, I would every now and then come across those film in the basement. We had an old projector. And I remember 14, 15 years old loading those reels and watching that actual footage from the Defense Department showing the liberation of Auschwitz and other death camps there. Well, it got a hold of my dad. So when the war was over, dad... Uh, talked to mom, and he said, I feel burdened to go with the Jews, the budding of the fig tree, as they go home. And my mother said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm going to go to Europe, and I'm going to find Jews that are going to Israel, and I'm going to go with them as they go home. So he got on the Queen Mary and he sailed out of New York City to Europe, caught the train, and went to Italy. And they were bringing them out of Poland and the other nations to Italy, and they were putting them on boats and taking them to Israel. And there he met, uh, he bought passage on a Jewish freighter, S.S. Kedman. And my dad was the only Gentile on that boat, loaded Jews, and my dad said every one of them had the tattoo 
of the death camp on their arm. And he said, I wanted to be with them. I wanted that experience. I wanted them to know I loved them. And he sailed with them out of Italy. And he said one morning he heard all this shouting, all this commotion and rejoicing, and he ran up on deck and said, what's going on? A fellow spoke English there, and he said, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And then it was so foggy, he said, you couldn't even see the bow of the boat. It was so foggy. And the guy said, we're home, we're home. And the ladies were crying, and they were waving their hands, and they were shouting, we're home. And he said, how can we be home? You can't even see anything. And that man said, look up, look up. And when Dad looked, they were in a big fog bank, and coming up out of the top of that fog was Mount Carmel. They were at Haifa, Israel. They were home. He got off that boat. He then took a train to Jerusalem. They ran a little train from Haifa to Jerusalem. He got to Jerusalem, and the city was divided as a war zone, and there were trenches, concertina wire, and my dad took his suitcase and a little white flag, and he walked from West Jerusalem, carrying his little suitcase, to East Jerusalem because he wanted to go to the Mount of Olives and the Calvary, and he got there 1951. And our family has been working there. This church has been working in the Holy Land since 1951. Why? We've got a heart connection because we know it's a fulfillment of the Word of God. So that gives you a little bit of background, lets you know a little bit about our founding pastor, Ralph Sexton Sr., and the adventure that he had going into that part of Israel and then to be there in 1951. And that's when it's a baby nation and the privilege and the joy that we've had serving together. Thank you for praying. We've got a lot of people asking questions about this peace deal of the century. How will it all play out? What will happen? Well, there's a couple of things you need to remember that uh, by the... uh, Arab nations where that were there in the White House and Prime Minister Netanyahu and our president. There's one thing to always remember. You don't have an acceptance of it yet, but like I said, you've got to start the journey. And one of the things that you will quickly see uh, when the Lord comes and we go home to heaven is that the Antichrist will have the ability to bring the world together. And he'll quickly get the Islamic world, the Arab world, to say this is the deal of the century and that they will be striving for peace and safety. And according to the word of God, for three and a half years, they're going to have world peace. We're going to have a false peace on planet Earth for three and a half years. And then what's going to happen, there's going to be a desecration in the temple because there will be a third temple built. And when that happens, the Jews will realize the scales will drop off. They'll realize he's not the Messiah. He's an imposter. And the Bible says that a nation will be born in a day. You know, when Jesus comes from treading the winepress of Armageddon, he'll come down, uh, down into the, one of the c- cities of refuge there at Petra. And the book of Isaiah says a nation 
will be born in the day. And so we're living there. It's an exciting time to be a believer. And uh, anytime you have uh, questions, you want us to try to answer them, we'll do that. I thought it would be just encouraging tonight for you to hear what these men have seen and experienced and to know that uh, your labor there in the Holy Land is not in vain. Brother Donnie, come up here beside me for a moment. Uh, I just want to mention over in Bethany, we've got a family uh, that we've been helping. And how many years have we helped this family? I was figuring out the other day, this past had been eight years. Eight years. Yeah, and uh, that we met the Hamad family in Bethany. In Bethany. Mm-hmm. And this is a Muslim family. This is not a Christian family. This is a Muslim family. But this family had two daughters. Both of them were stricken with cancer. And they couldn't afford the medicine. In this church, you know, we've been buying the medicine, getting them the treatment. The last three or four years, we added clothing and care for the mom and dad as well. And actually, uh, Danette Shook, sitting over there. Hey, Danette. uh, He would send her an email, and she would go, we'd give the money out of the class, and Danette went and bought exactly what they wanted. So they would give a detailed list of the sizes of the children and everything, and we took seven this year, seven suitcases in the fall to them and for Christmas. For Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but those are things you say, well, that's a Muslim family. How can they know our Christ, if we don't let them know that we care about them right. and what they're going through. So uh, we were able to go there into Bethlehem and distribute $26,000 in aid of buying fuel oil, helping the families through the winter months. Uh, you have to buy school clothes. You have to buy books. And so the Christian families were suffering there, and we tried to buy their school clothes, their books for them. And then the Assad family. Right. I think yeah. Shua called you this week, right? Yeah. So uh, that's the daughter of one of our guides that passed away, John. John Assad, and that's his daughter, Shua. Yeah. So uh, we, uh, we've, God's allowed us to be able to be salt yeah. and light. Pastor, I'd like the church, and if you're listening on the internet, I'd like you to be thinking ahead. Uh, when Pastor goes, him and Winston, in March, I'll give them some information that we need to help this orphanage in Bethlehem. Uh, We were there last fall, and our hearts were touched deeply uh, with the mothers and the children that are there. And what we'd like to do as a church family, and if you'd like to help, we want to reach out to that orphanage this year in a special way. So we're going to do it where we can help the children specifically, help the mothers specifically, and help the workers specifically. And uh, Sandy's here. She's going to help me when when y'all get back. And we're going to start building suitcases to send to them. So you be praying about that. If you'd like to sponsor a suitcase, if you'd like to help, we're going to go ahead and start putting it together ahead of time. And then the Lord willing, when we go in fall of the year, if God allows us to go, we're going to try to love on that orphanage and help those children. And with them, we've got some pictures we'll show you a little later when you guys get back. But uh, just loving on them and encouraging, helping them. And again, that's uh, a community that doesn't believe like we believe. But you know what? When they see our love, 
it makes a difference in their lives. Right. And some, uh, let me give you two cultural things that will help you understand this before we go home. One, the, the Crippled Children's Hospital on the Mount of Olives that we've helped for years. And there are hundreds of blind and crippled children that are serviced out of that one facility. And it's basic for Arab children, okay? And their culture is, and this is tough, but if the child is disabled, blind, autistic, whatever, then they're discarded. You know, they're sometimes, uh, we met three children in Bethlehem that they literally picked those children up out of the dump, out of the garbage dump. And word got up to the orphanage that there's a baby crying down in the dump. And they went and got the autistic children, brought them up. So most, uh, a lot of the equipment in that hospital for therapy, you bought. You put it in there. Uh, there's a plaque on the wall in their hospital thanking Trinity Baptist Church for the equipment that you bought for the children to have therapy and wheelchairs uh, that they didn't have, that you bought. And then this new place is in Bethlehem, and this is the one uh, because the one on the Mount of Olives, this is what's different culturally. If your child is in that hospital, mother, you go to the hospital and you stay with the child. Then you have to room and board there. And so we found out we had a side ministry, not only helping the children, but we brought... Uh, health and beauty aids for the mothers because they're living there and they have to eat and uh, they have to provide their food but they're required if your child gets the medical help you have to stay with the child. So we found out we had to help too. The other one in Bethlehem, those are children that were abandoned and they have no one and we wanted to help those children, the throwaway kids we call them, they were there and so we got two places, Mount of Olives and Bethlehem, loving on the children. And both places allow us to bring in coloring books that tell the life story of Jesus and a box of Crayolas. And you've got these little kids that are getting prizes and presents and clothes and tennis shoes. And they're saying, where did it come from? And they're pointing in their coloring books it came from Jesus, what about that? So that's a powerful witness, and it's a different way. We do the third location is the clinic down in Jericho, the little kids that live uh, on the side of the mountains down there in the tent. So it's a great opportunity that we can share our faith, learn the Word of God, but I figure if we go that, all that trouble to get over there, we've got to do a little mission work while we're there. Amen. All right, if you have any questions about prophecy, the, write them down, bring them Wednesday night. Don't forget special illustrated message, all right? We'll abbreviate the first part of the service so we can get right into the Bible study. And uh, it's a good illustrated message. A lot of work's been put into it. We've had a lot of people working on the research and development, so I want you to be here, all right? Let's, uh, Pastor Allen, will you come and dismiss us in prayer? And uh, he's been working, helping another family. So I appreciate all of the pastors pitching in to work and, 
At the same time we're doing something here, you may have two or three of our guys. We had three services on campus tonight. Isn't that good? So, and it's great to be here in the Bible study. Father, thank you for this great day that we've had here. And Lord, we pray that as we go out this building that you would instill in us uh, that part to witness to other people. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with those uh, that we've talked to today in the hospitals, those that are uh, in need. And Lord, we pray that you would answer that as your will. And Lord, we thank you for this service tonight. We thank you for a little insight into the nation of Israel and all that's going on there from our local church. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together. And let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you. And I ask you to pray for me.